Hey, I'm grateful to be with you this morning. My name's Thomas. For those of you that I haven't met yet, one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing some, uh, some words with you this morning. Actually, I'm just relieved that I made it out of the last three sermons alive. And, uh, and here's why. If you're joining us, let me, let me fill you in just a little bit. Uh, we are in the middle of a series entitled By the Book. And in this particular series, we are looking at the things that our world thinks about, focuses on, and tends to worship more than any other. And so we're deciding to tackle things like sex, money, and power. And though there are a lot of books out there on those particular issues, we've kind of lined the stage with those. Again, feel free to peruse those afterwards. You can go to all these books for information on those subjects, but we want to go to this book. We care deeply about what this book has to say about those three things. Because really, those three good gifts have been given to us by a good God. But those gifts can become more important than the one who gave them to us. And those gifts can actually become gods in and of themselves. The only way to guard against that is to cling to and live by the book. And we just came out of a three-week section on sex. And boy, was that interesting. Watching your reactions, watching the reactions of the early service, uh, there was a lot of different comments. And I appreciate the feedback, the criticism. I loved it all. It was super important for us to talk through those things. But hopefully it got you thinking about and processing and focusing more on that particular issue in your own life and with your own family. Uh, We're done with that section, and now we're on to the next section, money. And normally in a church, people hate talking about money. That's why I did it. You start with sex, and people are like, money, yeah. Anything but that. So that's what we're going to be talking about this one. Let me pray one more time. Lord, Kim has already asked several times that we would hear your voice, but that's the only one that matters in this space, not mine, yours. And so would you help us now to hear from you directly. We pray that your truth will set us free in a way that nothing else can. In Jesus' name, amen. Came across a great video clip that sets up the next portion of our series just perfectly. See if you recognize any of the following movie scenes. And there's some classics in there. So this is for our older crowd, but check these out. See if you recognize any of these. My father wrote about this in his book. Chapter one, page one, paragraph one. What is the answer to 99 out of 100 questions? Money. It's not over yet. It is for me, sister. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. Why didn't you just come after me? No, this is about me. This is about my money. This is about money due me, which I will collect. $3.7 million. And now, folks, it's time for who do you trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Well, how much are you going to invest? Five thousand. Ten. Ten thousand. 5,000. You needn't worry about your reward. Money is all that you love, and that's what you'll receive. For some folks, money is a foreign film without subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) And you're completely obsessed with treasure. Me? I'm giving away free money. Friend, some of your folding money has come unstowed. It's my nest egg, Jack. At my age, you got to think ahead. Absolutely not. I'm a businessman. I love money. I love power. I love capitalism. I do not now and never will love children. My name is Inigo Montoya. 
every money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Look, man, all these jokers have got a lot of money and it belongs to me. I want to know who they are and what they're doing with it. I'm sorry about that, man. I really am. Money does bad things to people. There ain't no excuse for it. Money. 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 I'm going to say money. You know, some older clips from one of the cell phones in there is the size of a brick, right? But the message that we see and hear in all those movies, it's in fact the mantra of the entire world. Money. Money makes the world go round. Or as poet Puff Daddy once said, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Although that sounds incredibly shallow, incredibly materialistic, it's really hard to argue against if you think about it. Most of our lives and most of the important decisions that we make in life revolve around money, from where we're going to live to what school we're going to go to to what job we're going to pursue, even to who we're willing to marry. It's a story about two very rich men who were out playing golf one afternoon at a beautiful resort course. They were in their late 70s. They had played hundreds of rounds together. But on this particular day, Uh, Right before they're about to tee off, a beautiful 25-year-old woman wearing a teeny little bikini comes out, gives one of the guys a huge kiss. I'll meet you in the pool when you're done, honey, she said. Who in the world was that? Asked the one man. Oh, that's my wife. Your wife, the man asked. How in the world did you get someone like her to marry you? I just lied about my age, he said. Oh, I see, I see, the friend replied. You just told her that you were in your early 50s? No, the man said. I told her I was in my late 90s. See, first service laughed really hard at that because some are in their late 90s. They know what that means. They die, their money goes. Anyway, okay. Ask someone with gray hair if you didn't get the joke. We see money is the primary motivator for most of us when it comes to many of the decisions that we make. Yet for some reason, as it tends to do with sex, the church doesn't talk a whole lot about it. We tend to steer clear of this issue. Outside of the annual like budget plea and presentation, there's not normally much talk about money. Well, people say, you know, how you handle your money, it's something between you and the Lord. Well, prayer is something between you and the Lord, and we talk about that openly. Communion is something between you and the Lord, and we talk about that openly. Holiness is something between you and the Lord, and we talk openly about that. The fact that it's between you and the Lord means that's exactly what we should be talking about together in a space like this. If not what's between you and the Lord, then what are we left to talk about? But I get it. There are a lot of bad teachers out there and a lot of bad teaching. There's a lot of baggage when it comes to this topic. Given all the TV evangelists, given the multi-billion dollar church buildings and church budgets, given that certain pastors only and always ask for more donations and gifts, it's easy to see why people outside of the church think that the church only and always cares about your money. And although greed definitely has ruined a church or two or ten, as we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, it's not about the money. It's not about the money, it's about your heart. And according to Jesus himself, what you think about and do with the first gives incredible insight into the condition of the second. You see, church, money matters. Now, it doesn't matter nearly as much as some of us think, and it doesn't matter for the reasons that many of us think, but it matters. And so we want to talk about what it looks like to handle our finances by the book. 
Now, here's the goal in a series like this or in this section of the series. It's not to get more donations. It's to make better disciples. Because how you handle your funds is inextricably connected to your faith. But most of us, most Christians, don't make that connection. See, most Christians typically don't get all that excited about a talk on money. Oh, yay, pastor's talking about money today. Hurry, kids, we can't be late to this one. I haven't heard that a whole lot. In fact, a friend of mine preached on money a few years ago. Towards the end of the sermon series, his secretary got an email that said the following. Please ask the preacher if he's going to be preaching on money again. I want to bring a visitor to church with me, but I want to do it on a day where he's going to preach a real sermon. A real sermon? Ooh, man. Well, in my understanding of it, a real sermon is something that deals with the things Jesus dealt with. It talks about the things that Jesus talked about. And whether or not you believe this to be true or not, Jesus talked about money a lot. In fact, based on some calculations, Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject except the kingdom of God itself. According to one author, one-sixth of all of his teachings, one-third of all of his parables dealt with what? Money, money, money. So if that's true, then Jesus actually warned people about greed and, and money more than he did lust or sexual sin. So the things we've been talking about the last three weeks, those are important to Jesus. But based on the numbers alone, not as important as the next three weeks. So according to Jesus, this is a real sermon and a really important sermon. Here's why. Matthew 13, 22, kind of our base text for the morning. The deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and the work of God. Again, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and the work of God. What Jesus is saying, in effect, is that money is extremely dangerous. It's not evil. Don't ever hear me say that. It's what we call amoral. It's not good or bad in and of itself, but it is very dangerous. Why? Because it can be very deceitful. We're basing the whole series around Romans 1, where the trade that we make, the trade of the truth of God for lies, ends up wreaking havoc in the rest of our life. Well, the same is true with money. It was true with lust. We said that lust is all about lies, well, guess what? Your dough can be just as dishonest. And so with sex, and why Kim chose some of the songs that she did, speak what is true, God. We need to know what is true when it comes to money. And I think Jesus is the only one that can tell us that. Because you see, Jesus doesn't want anything from you. He's not looking for you to buy anything from him. And so that gives him a unique perspective. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't want your money. And so maybe he's the best person to listen to because he doesn't have a horse in this race, per se. That might be different, though, as we go through this. So this morning, let's look at five things that Jesus believed to be true as it pertains to money. And this goes against everything else that we tend to hear and see and watch and, and be thrown at. So it's going to be tough to swallow this truth, but I think you can handle the truth, and I think we need to handle the truth together. Here it is, number one. Truth number one, the key to happiness in this life is not wealth. The key to your happiness is not your wealth. There's a little saying out here in the West that most of us have bought into, literally. Life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. I mean, every ad in the paper, every commercial on the TV, every pop-up on your computer, it's all saying that your happiness is connected to what you have and that you'll be a lot happier when you have a lot more or at least more than you had yesterday. And so we buy the newest phone because, man, not much is different between this version and the last 37 versions of it, but I want the new one. Or we buy the new TV because I can see the game just fine on my current flat screen, but that one is curved. Oh, that's awesome. We buy the bigger house in the nicer neighborhood because even though nothing bad ever happened in our old neighborhood, we just feel more important in the gated community 
This goes so many places. The line from the movie Fight Club, a movie back in the day, sums it up perfectly. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Isn't that sad but true? Because it's all about life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. A little self-disclosure here, church. When it comes to the vices that we're talking about in this series, this is mine. This is my issue. I love stuff. I love new stuff. I love shiny stuff. I love expensive stuff. I just love stuff. And so I'm not only speaking to you, I'm trying to also speak to myself in this because money can easily become my master if I'm not careful. So life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness will not according to Jesus. See, not once did Jesus tell somebody that their life would be better off or their lot in life would be better if they just made more money. He never said that. In fact, he said the opposite. Luke 12, beginning of verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life, your life, your value, your worth does not consist in what you own, what you wear, what you have, or what you have saved up. That's crazy talk, isn't it? I mean, no one says that. No one says that. But Jesus isn't saying it because he was poor and trying to make, him, make himself feel better. He was saying it because it's true and he needs you to know the truth. But how many of us have said or thought to ourselves, oh, if I could just make that much, if I could just strike it rich, if I could just win the lottery, life would be so much better, so much easier. I mean, if I could just buy that and make this much, live there, then I'd be happy. And we tend to buy into that, don't we? We think that the more we have, the more we make, the more we save, the more we store up for ourselves, the happier we will be. But Jesus says, that's not happiness at all. That's not the key to happiness. The key to happiness is not more goodies. The key to your happiness is more God. Instead of pursuing wealth, as most of us do, Jesus tells us to pursue the Lord. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add it everything else unto you. I looked up that word first in the original language. Do you know what that word means? First. Seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of thingdom. And yet that's the kingdom that we typically spend most of our time in. We stop and think about it. What if you and I took all of the time and energy that we normally spend on a, on a daily or weekly basis, basis thinking about money or making money or finding new ways to spend our money, what if we took all of that energy and we put it towards serving and seeking after the Lord? What would it look like to take all of that stuff that we typically do first and put it towards his kingdom and not the kingdom of thingdom? Now, granted, you can't completely forget about money, nor do I want you to. You've got to provide for your family. It's good to balance your checkbook, pay your bills. I get that. But chances are likely, if you're anything like me, you spend a lot more time pursuing stuff than you do pursuing the Savior. And according to Jesus, that's where a lot of our problems start. Because when you get the first thing out of first place, then everything else starts to fall out of place. You with me? That first thing has got to be first or everything else will start to fall apart. But it's so hard for us to believe this truth, isn't it? I mean, stuff satisfies, right? And when it doesn't, something's wrong with the stuff. So we just buy more of it. It's not the stuff, Jesus says. It's the belief that you have that happiness is found in what you have. 
Think about how much time you might spend on a, on a new product or thinking about a new gizmo or gadget or all excited about that, that new purchase you just made. For me, a little more self-disclosure here, the most recent purchase was a vacuum. I know, it's lame I'm sorry, but look at me, suburbia, got to buy a vacuum. Our vacuum sucked, our old one did. <laughs> Come on, when do you get to make vacuum jokes, people? Seriously, I was like looking forward to that all week. So we had to buy a new one. So I'm like going online, reading all the different reviews, right? All the different websites. I go to the store and actually try it out. I start to follow it. After we make the purchase, I follow the tracking on the UPS website. You would have thought this stupid little vacuum is like a long lost relative I hadn't seen in years. She'll be here at three. <laughs> then I got the vacuum and it was fine. I mean, after the first few uses though, guess what? It went in the closet, just like the other vacuum did. I mean, I'm just sure it was going to bring me so much happiness. It was going to be so cool. Now, my wife is happy when I use the vacuum, but that's, that's last week's sermon. Go back and listen to it if you need to. <laughs> but you see, satisfaction and joy, it doesn't come through more stuff. When, when we base it on stuff, our satisfaction and our happiness, it's so short-lived because the Lord wants to show us something. That stuff will never completely satisfy you. But then he says, but that's not true for me. That's not true with me. Look at these verses. Your compassions are new every morning. Lamentations 3. Out of your right hand, Lord, are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Psalm 145, 16. The scripture is clear. Happiness is not found in having. Happiness is found in him. And when you have more of him, it doesn't, help, it doesn't matter how much other stuff you have. You really don't even want more of it. You just want more of him. And my prayer this week for you, church, has been that we would be a church that wants more of him because we know that our happiness is not in what we have but in who we worship. Truth number two, all the stuff that we long for won't be around for long. Whenever you move to Denver, people tend to give you two pieces of advice. The first is this, do not buy a house with a north-facing driveway. And when it starts snowing, everybody in here says, Amen to that, right? And I'm so glad I took you up on that because now when I'm like sunbathing on my, on my front porch in the wintertime, they do across the street. It's like snow blowing, four feet of snow, cursing the heavens. It's like north facing, dude. The church obviously didn't tell you that. I'm sorry. But advice number two, don't buy a house sitting on bentonite. Right? You've heard that before? See, people from around here understand that bentonite is a type of soil, a type of clay that is very unstable. You don't want to build your home on something that shifts and changes and won't last. Because when it fails and falls apart, so will everything else. That's what most of us tend to do, not so much with our homes, but with our understanding of finances. We tend to build our entire lives on nothing more than bentonite. We build our lives on what we earn, what we have, what we're worth, how much we've saved. Yet Jesus spoke to how foolish that was. Bentonite, he says. Listen, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is asking you in that verse, why are you basing your life around treasures on the earth, things like cars, homes, toys, tools, investments? Treasures on the earth can be destroyed by moths, by dust, by thieves. To put it in language you might understand or connect to more, why are you basing your life on things that can be taken away by a stock market crash? the bursting of a housing bubble, some economic downturn. You're basing your life on oil prices. You're basing your life on something that can happen in China. That's crazy. That's foolish. That's so fickle, he would say. 
Those are treasures of the earth. They're going to fade away and fall apart. And if you base your life on those things, the same will be true for you. But more than just being unstable and unpredictable, all the treasures of the earth are actually going to be destroyed at one point. Look at 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will vanish with a mighty and thunderous roar, and the material elements will be destroyed with an intense heat, and the earth and the works and all that are in it will be burned up. So according to this verse and other verses, everything that you own is going to end up on a trash heap or in a fire pit. That's it. Those are the options. It's all going to turn to rust or dust. I don't care if you drive a $100,000 Mercedes or a $1,000 Hyundai. It's going to turn to dust. I know you love your car, but it's going to burn. And listen, I'm not making fun of the car you drive. I mean, I would rather drive a Mercedes myself. But do you think that Mercedes dust looks any different from Hyundai rust or dust from the eyes of heaven, from the perspective of the Lord? And it all looks pretty similar to me, doesn't it? Your stuff won't last. The stuff that we build our lives on, it won't last. It's not dependable. The physical, material things that we cling to, that we purchase, that we protect so vehemently, they're going to break. They're going to be strolling, stolen. Not strolling when you combine the two words. That's what you get. But they're going to be destroyed. See, our goodies will be gone. And let's say our goodies do outlast us. Well, guess what? You can't take them with you. They might outlast you, but someone's going to be destroyed at some point in time. But that won't be said for God's glory. See, that will last forever. His glory and his great name will be made stronger and stronger throughout all of eternity. And that's what we need to be working towards and basing our lives off of. When we base our lives on things that won't last, we end up like those things. But when we, end, when we base our lives on that which will last forever, we will become more like that. One pastor put it this way, who cares how much the coffin costs if the one in it is going to hell? Sounds like Jesus when he said in Matthew 16, 26, what good is it if you gain the entire world and yet lose your soul? Because all those goodies will be gone or you will be gone. In another case, those goodies aren't going to serve you real well at the end. Truth number three, the love of money can make you cruel to people, blind to the needs of others. Anybody taking a drive through the mountains in the last couple of days or weeks, see the trees change, just seeing the, the beauty of God's majesty out there? This is a beautiful time of year, is it not? Well, let's say you're up at a, a certain mountain peak or, or a certain pass here in Colorado. Let's say it just snowed maybe the night before, a gorgeous view. You're standing out there just taking in the glory of God's creation. Well, let's say I secretly followed you, which is kind of creepy. But anyway, I followed you up there, and I come up from behind you, creepier still, but I take two little quarters and I just cover your eyes with them. With two little quarters, I can completely stop you from seeing that. With two little coins, I can stop you from seeing the majesty of God. And here's why. It doesn't take a lot of money to blind you to everything going on around you. That's especially true when it comes to the needs of others. First Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, it says. Hard to argue against that when you watch the evening news. Cheating, stealing, lying, embezzling, overcharging, enslaving, racketeering, scheming, swindling. Just a few of the evils connected to money. But I tell you the truth, some of the worst evils are apathy and cruelty. See, money has a way of blinding us to others, to the needs of others, to the genuine hurts and concerns. It has a way of making us cold and calloused. 
We're either so consumed with making money that we don't have any more bandwidth to think about others, or we're using others to make money so they're just a part of the process, or we're so afraid of others that they're going to steal our money, but for one reason or another, others are not so important to us when it's all about the Benjamins. Even if your name is Benjamin, we don't really care. All right, sorry, that was stupid. I just thought that was funny. All right, Jesus tells a story about this in Luke 16. The story is called The Rich Man and Lazarus. It's basically about a guy who owns a huge house at the end of this beautiful driveway, gated. But wouldn't you know it, every day this homeless guy sleeps out in front of the gate, sleeps out in front of this guy's house. But the rich man is so blinded by his money, he can't see the poor man. I mean, he drives his Beamer right past him. He walks his expensive dogs right past him. I mean, he just doesn't see or care about this man at all. You can read the rest of the story in Luke 16 if you want to see how it turns out. But let's just say that the blind man or the the blind man, the, the poor man, was not actually the one in the worst condition in the story. It was the rich man because he was the one who was truly blind. He could not see past his money. One author I read this week called it the ruinous effects of riches. And we see this all the time, do we not? It's the rich business person who ignores the, little, uh, the, the worker that's down in the factory floor. It's the, the workaholic dad who neglects his family, the pastor who destroys a church to increase the size of the giving. It's the scam artist who steals from investors to fund his Ponzi scheme. It's the pimp who sells young girls into sex trafficking. Why? It's all about the money. Wow, it is the root of a lot of evil. You're right, Paul. There are ruinous effects to riches. And our love of money can stop us from seeing other people. It can really even stop us from seeing and, and responding to God. That's one of the scariest things about it. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a story about a master who wants to throw a huge party for all of his people, for all of his friends. So he tells his servants, go out and, and bring people in. I want to share my wealth and my time. I want to be in their presence, he says. So they go out and they, they invite people to this party. Well, wouldn't you know it, one person after another has some sort of excuse as to why they can't come. And two out of the three excuses that are given deal with money. One guy says, listen, I can't come to your party right now. I just bought a field and I need to work it. Another guy says, I can't come to your party right now. I just bought some oxen. I need to go try them out. The two people, I mean, 66% of the people missed out on an opportunity to be in the master's presence, to be with him and to share his house and his stuff. They missed all that because they were so obsessed with their stuff. They were blinded by their money. They were possessed by their possessions, and they missed out. And their excuse for not pursuing the master or spending time with him, it sounds similar to ours, doesn't it? Listen, I just need to take that trip that I've been planning on first, Lord. That Then I will. I need to cruise the internet for a better deal. Then I'll, then I'll pray. I need to see how this auction on eBay is going to turn out. I need to put a few more um, dollars into my bank account. I need to put a few more hours in the office. I need to put some more money into my retirement savings. God, I would give you first priority. I would spend more time with my family or my friends. But that package that I just bought online, I got free express shipping on it. It's going to be here tomorrow. Can this wait? That's kind of how we all talk, isn't it? We end up substituting a dollar for an opportunity to be part of the divine. We miss out on the amazing invitations from God to partner with him, to be about what he's about because we're so blinded by our finances. Truth number four, your discipleship is powerfully connected to your stewardship. As you read through the scripture, especially the teachings of Jesus, you're going to see a common theme. It's not about how much money you have. It's what you do with the money you have. That's what the word stewardship is all about. It's about being faithful with what you've been given. 
See, if the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us this, that you and I actually don't own a thing. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Say that with me now, church. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in it? Your car? Your basement? Your retirement account? Your mountain property? Your wardrobe? Your toys? Your tools? Everything is his, not yours. But think about how most of us approach life. We're like the seagulls from Finding Nemo, aren't we? Mine, 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 mine. No, no, it's not yours. It's his. I don't know about you, but when I borrow something from a friend, typically I try to take really good care of it because I'm really nervous about giving it back to my friend in worse condition. I was like, oh, man, this isn't mine, so I better be really careful and not scratch it, not get it all messed up. I want it to be better than when I first received it. I wonder if the Lord isn't saying, that's how I want you to handle all of your stuff and all of your finances. None of it is yours. You're borrowing it. It's on loan to you, and one day I will ask for it back. What condition am I going to get it in? What condition will it be when when I receive it from you? That which I gave to you and, and, and let you borrow, what will it be like when you give it back to me? That's why we find so many stories in the Scripture about being a good steward. Right from the story of the talents where these guys are kind of praised or rebuked for how they use their money to stories about guys who use their money foolishly to one guy who uses all this money to make friends. The Bible is clear. It's not about how much we make. It's what we do with what we make. That's important to the Lord. It's not about making more. It's about making the most out of what you have, out of what you've been given, out of what you've been gifted. Luke 16.10 says it well. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted. Or whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. See, God is very interested in whether you are using your possessions for his purposes, whether you're handling what you have in a mature and godly way. Now, before we kind of get mad at the Lord for doing that to us, it's what we do with our kids, isn't it? They could give them a dollar allowance, and you're going to want to see how they spend it. If they blow it on, like, popsicles at the store, it's like, oh, man. But if they handle it well, you kind of want to increase the allowance. If I give Bailey 10 bucks, and she's like, can we go to Casa Bonita and go play the arcades? Like, I will never give you money again. You were crazy. Don't blow your money at Casa Bonita. Anyway, sorry. Still, like, recovering. Anyway, anyway. But how we handle our money, it says a lot about our maturity, doesn't it? And what's true in life is true in faith. The Lord wants to see how you're handling it, if he can give you more of it. And so if we want to grow up, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow in the Lord, we have to understand that our stewardship is a huge part of our discipleship. We have to do a regular internal audit of how we spend our our money. We have to ask ourselves hard questions. We gotta push ourselves to be more diligent and more disciplined. It's like prayer life, it's like reading time, it's like serving, it's like sacrificing anything. You gotta push yourself. And it's not just a one-time decision that you make, it's a daily decision. How am I doing in this one area? It's a question you gotta ask again and again and again. Because your stewardship and your discipleship, they go together. Jesus sees them as together. Our last truth of the morning is this. Grace will always result in generosity. This particular truth is so important that we're actually going to spend all of next week just on this one thing. 
Because generosity and giving away our resources in a joyful and sacrificial way is not only a mandate of Christ, it's how we show that we understand the enormity of the cross of Christ. Think about this, church. The only reason we have the hope of heaven, the only reason we have the assurance of eternity, the promise, the hope of life after life, it's because God was so generous to us. It's because he gave so much away. He gave his greatest treasure, the Bible says, to us. He paid an enormous debt that we owed to him. He paid it off himself on our behalf. And that gift or the constant gifts of grace that he gives to us, it says a lot about how he feels about us, don't you think? And so I have to ask you the question, what do your gifts say about your understanding of grace and what does it say about your understanding of who he is? We're going to talk all about that next week, that grace will always result in generosity. So if you're watching any number of movies, especially some of those old classics, chances are you're going to see and hear a lot about money. But if you read through the scriptures, the teachings of Jesus, chances are you're going to see and hear a lot about money as well. And so it's important that as we move forward, you keep these five truths firmly in mind. Happiness is not found in having. It's found in him. All the stuff we long for, it won't be around for long. The love of money can make us cruel and blind. Our stewardship is powerfully connected to our discipleship, and grace will always result in generosity. Always. When you keep those things in mind as you handle money, I can say with a lot of confidence you're living by the book. Let me pray that will be true for you. Father, this is a difficult subject matter and one that makes some of us uncomfortable and for different reasons, God. There are some in here who don't make much money at all and who are just really struggling with their finances. And so it's just a, it's a sore subject, God. It's one that's caused a lot of pain and shame over the years. And so if, if people in this room fall into that category, we just ask for healing. We just ask for some blessing, Lord. We ask for some daily bread. Help them to keep going, Lord, even though things are tough right now. Help them to see they have enough to make it through and to ask for help if they don't, Lord. There are others in this room, Lord, who make a lot of money. And so they hear a, a sermon like this and they start feeling attacked as if something is wrong with them or wrong with their money. We pray against that lie as well. Lord, money can be such a good thing. It can be such an amazing tool. Jesus needed funds to, um, to fuel his ministry and to back all the things that he did. The same was true with Paul. Pay a man for his ministry in the, in the gospel. So God, money is not bad and those who have lots of it are not bad. We pray against that as well. We pray that they will start to see truth and start to live in freedom and generosity with their funds. And there are those kind of right in the middle, Lord, who have some money, but not a ton, who, who make enough and, and are rich by the world standards, Lord, but we're just not sure what to do with it. And so we ask for your guidance in all of this. We want to make the most out of what we've been given. We want to be good stewards. We want to live by the truth, live by the book. And so we need your help. If anything I've said today, Lord, is not true, help it to fade away and be forgotten and replace it with your words of wisdom. You are the only one who can truly guide us in the truth on this issue. You don't want anything from us except for life, abundant life, good life. You want what's best for us, actually, Lord. And so I pray that we will look to you and not to our financers, not to our loan officers, not to salesmen. That we will just look to you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My encouragement to you this week, church, spend 30 minutes with the Lord this week asking yourself some questions, going through those truths. Are those true for you? Are they not true for you? Spend some time with the Lord this week. Have him speak directly into your financial situation. Next week we'll talk about grace and generosity. Have an amazing day. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out so we can bless a family in need.
Be strong and courageous. Go Broncos.